0: got a long ways to go before we get there Uh, i hope you had a wonderful weekend Um, if you missed out on wednesday night uh, let me tell you that you missed out on a special time Uh, we had some amazing testimonies of how god has restored some relationships uh, how he has brought some new brothers and sisters into the family of christ um, how he has healed Um, and then we had an opportunity to just pray shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters in Christ, and it was really a special night. So I hope that you will take the opportunity this week um, to come on Wednesday nights um, to be a part of that time as we go before our Lord and Savior and ask Him to do a work in our church and in our lives uh, that only He could do uh, as we move forward. Um, I also want to make one quick announcement because I have all of your attention right now, and if I make it at the end, you may not hear it, Um, but... No matter what your bulletin says, I believe we are having a wana tonight, um, so don't not come tonight. Make sure that you show up um, and participate with us as we enjoy that time. Um, so we do have a tonight. Today we're going to be looking at Mark four twenty six through twenty nine. If you want to put a thumb there, and we will also be looking at Second Corinthians two fourteen through seventeen. So you can go ahead and be turning to those two spots. Last week, we started a new series called Joining God in the Fields. And we looked specifically last week at empty fields. Empty fields are those places where God has gone before us in His Spirit and began to prepare people and places for ministry. And we are to be searching for those areas so that as we do ministry, we may be more fruitful, we may be working in the place that He wants us to work. We talked about the way that we do that is first we act. We know as believers that we have certain things in our lives that we are already supposed to be doing. And so we begin to act upon those things like Paul did. He knew that he was supposed to be taking the gospel to the Gentiles, and so he began to go from town to town, and God was just telling him, no, not here, not here. We also know that we need to be praying. We need to be asking the Lord to open our eyes and to be working in our community and other places so that we may identify those empty fields and go into them just as Paul was surely abiding in Christ and praying and asking the Lord to direct his path when God gave him the vision to go to Macedonia. And then lastly, we said that we must trust that the Lord truly is going to direct our path, that if we obey him and seek him in prayer, that he will indeed show us where we need to be doing ministry. He will show us those empty fields just as he showed Paul where he was supposed to do his work. This week we're looking at the second field, the second area of responsibility, second area of ministry for us as a church. And we're calling that sowing the seed. It's those places, really everywhere that we go, that we are to be sharing the gospel, sharing the testimony with those that we come into contact with. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, I wanted to make a quick note before I read the passages. Normally, when you hear me read a passage, it's out of the ESV version. Um, but this morning, I'll be reading Second Chronicle, or Second Corinthians out of the Holman Christian Standard. I believe that there are a couple of places um, where the translation allows us to gain a better picture of what Paul is trying to communicate. Um, and so, just if it doesn't look like normal, um, that is why. So, if you have found Mark and 2 Corinthians, if you would join us as we do every morning in standing to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in Mark 4, 26 through 29. This is the overarching message or passage of this series that we're looking at. In 26, it says, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And then 2 Corinthians two fourteen through 17 But thanks be to God, who always puts us on display in Christ, and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. And who is competent for this? For we are not like the many who market God's message for profit. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ, as from God and before God. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, and we are thankful for today. Lord, we're thankful for a time in our week when we can stop and lay everything down and come into your house and worship you because you are worthy of it. Because you have proven yourself over and over again. Because you are the God of all the universe. Father, we pray this morning that you would come and be here in our presence. Father, my... Preaching is nothing if your spirit is not in the word. Lord, our worship is nothing if you are not here abiding in it. Father, our works are weak if you are not with us. And so, Father, we are desperate for you. Lord, we desperately need you to do a work in us and through us to come and be in this place this morning. Father, as we hear your word, help us to apply it to our lives to not walk away and just make it another week, but really allow it to affect who we are so that we may look more like you. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Before we really look at 2 Corinthians, I want to take a look really quick and make a side note about the farmer who is in the passage that we're using as kind of a theme for this, uh, this whole sermon series. Last week we talked about how the farmer just does what he's supposed to be doing. He's, he's been given a task and he knows that he should be doing it. But we also need to understand that he sows because he is a farmer. He doesn't sow because there's something else going on, or because someone has told him to do it. It's his occupation. It is who he is. Just as if he were a carpenter, he would go and gather wood and begin to fashion that into the thing that he should be. Just like if he was a blacksmith, he would gather the raw materials that would, he would need and he would stoke the fire. So too the farmer sows because that is who he is. And so the same is true for us. That as believers... We should be sowing the gospel. It should be in the very DNA of who we are. And so as we talk this morning about shining our light and being salt to the earth, about smelling like Christ, we do that because it should be ingrained in the very DNA, the very being of who we are as new creations in Him. Preaching the gospel, sharing the testimony, sharing the story of what He has done for us, should be first nature. It should be on the tips of our tongues at every moment. because no greater thing has happened in our life than when He saved us from ourselves and from our own sin and from an eternity of suffering. No greater thing has happened to us. And so that should be what is on the tips of our tongues. We are quick to tell the stories of so many other things. And yet we're slow to do that. And so just as the farmer sows because that's who he is, we too should sow because we are believers. All right, that's my side note. That's the mini-sermon for the day. Let's look at 2 Corinthians. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. If we are believers and that's who we're supposed to be and we're supposed to be about sowing the gospel, what exactly does that look like? And I love some of the pictures that Paul paints here for the Corinthians. He starts off by talking about, in verses 14, that Christ leads us in the ESV, that he leads us in a triumphal procession in the Holman Christian Standard, which we read. It says he puts us on display. What Christ is, or what, sorry, what Paul is trying to paint a picture of here is the Roman processions, the Roman processions that they would have done after battle in victory. They would have gone through and had victory parades through all the towns as they marched back to Rome, and the soldiers would have been in all of their glory. They would have had the captives that they had taken behind them, and there was a purpose behind that. The purpose behind that was for those that supported the the empire, for those that were glad to be Romans, it was an opportunity to gain pride in what they were a part of, It was an encouragement to continue the work of the kingdom, of the empire. It was an opportunity to encourage them to go on and do more. It was also an opportunity for them to feel safe because they knew the strength of who supported them and who they were under. But it also had another purpose. It was also a message to those that would think to rebel against the Roman Empire. It was a reminder to those that stood in the way of the Romans that we are powerful, and if you choose to test us, we will take you out. And there could be little doubt of that during those processions. And so, too, Christ has saved us. He has taken over our lives. He has made himself Lord. We have made him Lord in our life. And so too, he puts us on display in the place that we are, in the time that we are, to accomplish things for his glory. It's so that we might shine for those that are around us. So that we might be an encouragement to those around us. In Matthew 5, 13 through 16, he gives a very simple picture that we all know, or most of us probably know. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness... Christ expects us to live our life in such a way that when people look at us, they see Him. This doesn't mean that we go around and we gloat about all that is going on in our lives, but it it does mean that we tell the honest story of who He is and what He has accomplished. And we've talked talked a little bit about last week, and we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead that in these different fields, There are some of us that are called into different ministries. There are some of us that are being gifted in different ways. But the reality is, is that in this way, in this ministry, in this field, we are all called to participate in the sowing of seed. We are all salt. We are all light. If you have been made new in him, then you cannot hide what he has done in your life. Cannot try to put that in the back corner. It must be forefront in your life. So Paul says that we're on display. He goes on to make another note farther down in 15. He says, we are the aroma of Christ. I called this title smelling good for God. For me, it was an immediate picture of food. You might have picked up on that I like that a little bit. But for me, it was, a, it was a picture of Sunday mornings. Growing up, um, I recall, and even as an adult, I, I do this when we go over to my mom's. But you would, I would get done with Sunday morning worship. We would go home, and I may not be hungry yet. My mind would be on other things. I may be exhausted, whatever it may be, but I, I wouldn't be hungry yet. And I would go home, and I would get out of the car, and as soon as my foot hit the porch, I would smell the roast oh, there's not much better meal than roast onions, potatoes, carrots. And all of that smell is wafting out of the house. And if I was lucky, it was intermixed with chocolate chip cookies. And I just was like, okay, I wasn't hungry before, but now that has changed. And I wanted to rip the door down. And inevitably, I got inside, and Mom's like, give me 15 minutes. And I'm like, no, no. Fifteen minutes is an eternity. I want to eat now. For some of you, it's walking past a Mexican restaurant, and all of a sudden the car turns in. We were at Bass Pro the other day. Some of you men will identify with this, and maybe the women. We were at Bass Pro, and we walked outside. We'd already made plans for lunch. We knew where we wanted to go, and this dude had set up a food shack, and he was smoking ribs and pulled pork outside. And I was like, uh, I'm not so sure about our plans for lunch anymore because that smoke smell hits your nostrils, and you're like, I want that. And Paul does the same thing here. He says that smell, that aroma, that sensation that you can identify, it is the same thing that should be happening with us as believers to unbelievers. They should be around us and they should sense that something is different. They should want what we have. And it should give us an opportunity to lead them to Christ in the way that we love others, including those that don't love us, in the way that we forgive others, in the way that we're generous, in the way that we interact with our families. All of those things should be an aroma, a fragrance to those that don't know Christ. And every one of us has the ability to do that. Every one of us should smell like Jesus. That's an easy thing for us to remember, an easy thing for us to do. But there is a warning here that I want to give because there's a phrase that has become so common in our culture and especially in our church culture. And the phrase is, preach the gospel always, use words when necessary. And as a young adult, I like that phrase. I understood what it meant. It meant walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. But we have abused that phrase to make it say something that it was never intended to, that we don't have to use words, that we don't have to say something. Romans 10, 14 makes it clear that that's not true. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard, and how can hear without someone preaching to them. That word preaching just means telling. As I was preparing this sermon, there was a, there was a story that really kind of hit home to me. It helped me to understand what, what this meant. It was a story of this young man that had worked for this boss for a long time. And this young man came to know Christ. Christ. And he went back to work that week and he let his boss know that he had become a believer and shared with him this story. And the boss was elated. He said, young man, son, I have been praying for you for years and years that Christ would change your life, that you would know him as your Savior. I'm so excited. I'm so excited that you're a brother in Christ. And the young man looked at his boss and said, why did you never say something? Why did you never tell me that you were a Christian? Why did you never tell me that you knew Christ? And the boss said, "Well, you know, we were—I was your boss. You were my employee. I thought it might make things awkward. I thought it might make things straight. I didn't want to influence you in any way. I—I just—I prayed for you, and I tried to live out a good Christian life in front of you." And the young man looked at his boss, and he said, "You don't understand. When I looked at your life, I saw a good man, an honest man, a man who loved his family and had a great family life, a man who had succeeded." in so many of the areas that I wanted to succeed in. But because you never told me that it was because of Christ, I thought all of that was accomplishable without him. And so I never wanted anything to do with him. And the boss was just in shock. And so, too, we can be a stumbling block to those that don't know Christ if we simply live a good life if we make it look like we have it all put together, but we never express that the reason that we have hope, the reason that we have joy is because of Christ, then people will get the wrong idea that it's easy, that it's something that they can accomplish without Him. And so it's not good enough that we merely walk the walk, but we must talk the talk. It's not good enough for you to smell the food. If you only ever smell food, you will starve. You must partake of it. You must be an active participant in that. And so he tells us that we're on display. He tells us that we are to be an aroma. And then he goes on to make an interesting point that I think is important for us as believers to remember. He says in 15 that we're the aroma. He says that, of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And in 16 he says, to one a fragrance of death to death and to the other a fragrance to life, from life to life. For those that are perishing we are a smell of death. We're a reminder of things that they don't want to think about. For others we are a reminder of the glory of God and salvation. And so... He makes this point, and and as I was reading it, I really thought, what a good example, what a reminder of what success really is for those of us that share the gospel. Because if you're like me, and you're like most Christians, the reason that we don't share the gospel is because we think we fail at it. We think that we're not eloquent enough. We think that we haven't been trained well enough. We think that somehow we're gonna fall short. And most oftentimes what happens is we share the gospel and then no, excuse me, no one responds to it. Nothing happens, and we think, oh, somehow I've failed, somehow I've done something wrong. And then we get to the point where we just don't share it at all. But Paul reminds us here of an important thing: that God is the one who saves. God is already working in people's hearts, and those that he's working in, when we come before them and share the gospel no matter how articulate it is no matter how well spoken we are no matter how organized it is and if God is working in their lives to move them to to salvation that he will accomplish that work and that if he is not for whatever reason moving in their life at that moment maybe we are just planting a seed, maybe we are just watering, whatever it is, that it is not failure for us to see a person walk away from the gospel that is their choice, that is God's work in them for whatever reason and so paul reminds us that a listener's response is not the measure of failure rather our obedience to share the gospel is the measure of success my dad would sometimes send me on a task knowing full well that i was maybe not gifted at that thing but he was wanting me to try things that I had not done before, wanting to give me experiences that I had not had so that I might learn skills, I might learn lessons from things. And there were times in my life when I would obey him and go out and do that thing, and sometimes I would succeed and sometimes I would just make it worse. I can think of many pieces of machinery that I have broken in my life. And make it. think of many times when we had to go back to the hardware store because that piece of wood didn't so much make it. But never once in those moments did my father show anger towards me. Frustration sometimes, but not anger. Because I had obeyed him and I had tried my best to accomplish what he had asked me to do. And for him, that was what he wanted. He wanted me to learn that lesson. He wanted me to learn that path. The times when he got upset with me, the times that I faced discipline were the times when I knew that if I did that, it was going to be bad. And rather than fail, I disobeyed him and said, I'm not doing that. That's the times when I met the other side of my father. It was a good side. It was a side of discipline. It's a side that I needed. But the same is true for us, that Christ sends us out into a world that he knows is tough. He knows it's not easy for us at times to share the gospel, to be a disciple of Christ in this place. But he has commissioned us to do it so that he can make us more like him. And he does not judge our success or our failure based on other people's responses, but rather he bases it on our obedience to him. So if you are a believer here this morning and you are concerned about failing at this task, know that it does not matter the gifts that you have been given. It does not matter the amount of time that you've been a believer. It does not matter your eloquence. It matters that you obey. The other story that I love to think about with this is the story of the Samaritan woman. She meets Jesus at a well. He tells her all about her life. What does she do? She runs back into town and she says, you have to come meet this guy that I've met. He's told me everything I've done in my life. I think he might be the Messiah. You've got to come see this dude. And the whole town goes out and listens to Christ and sits under his teaching. She knew him for moments and yet she was able to articulate that he was what they had been looking for. Friend, You have been given the gospel. You have been given the hope of life. You can articulate that to those that need it. You can tell them that. You may not be gifted in it. You may not be well-trained in it. But it is something that he can empower you to do. So he tells us that it's success. And then he asks an interesting question. At the end of 16, he says, who is sufficient for these things? I found that an odd question. He's talking about us being on display for Christ. He's talking about us being an aroma to those that are perishing and those that are being saved. And then this question, who is sufficient? Who is competent? I thought that an interesting question to pose right at that moment. And I realized as I pondered and prayed over that, that no one is sufficient for this work on their own. Yes, we all have gifts and talents and we can accomplish things. And there are times in our life when we we go out and we do things. But this task of sharing the gospel to the whole world, none of us are equipped to do that on our own. And so he goes on at the end of that passage to say that we are men of sincerity. Why? Because we have experienced the salvation of God. We have experienced his grace and mercy and that we have been commissioned by God. And th- therefore, we do what we do. We do. We share the gospel in the sight of God and we speak in Christ. He gives us the power. We've been commissioned. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20. You all know the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. He has given us our marching orders. He has commissioned us, sent us out to make disciples. But apart from him we cannot do this. John John 15, 4 through 16 says, Abide in me and I in you, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, it is he that bears much fruit. From apart from me you can do nothing. Friends, if we are to accomplish this task of bringing the gospel to all those who need it, to bringing the gospel to this place to this town of Vandalia and to the surrounding area, then we must go to him in prayer. We must abide in him and trust that he will see that through in us. Because if we choose to act on our own, we will fall short of the goal that we have. We will fall short of the task that he has put in front of us. So how does this look? If we're to be on display for him, if we are to smell like Christ, And be able to spread the gospel to those that need it. What does that look like practically? How do we do this? First, we must pray for the lost. And for those who are working in those fields. We must pray for those who we know who desperately need Christ. For those who have no hope. I've shared this, I think, several times on Wednesday night. I don't know that I've shared it on Sunday morning, but... Years and years we prayed for my grandfather that he would come to know Christ and there were times when I just didn't think that it was going to happen and I my faith faltered in that area and then something would renew it and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we never gave up hope that God would do a work in his life. And praise be to God that at the age of 84 that man saw the light, Christ saved him and I got to see him baptized. What what a crazy thing. And then he's coming to me and he goes, Did you know the Bible said this? Did you know the Bible said this? And I'm like, Why, yes I did. I'm so excited for you. And for him to see his family in a new light because he had accepted Christ and now he realized what we had been talking about, why we had done the things we had done. And then he got on to me because I came back from Madagascar. <laughs> I was like, we you even back, you gotta share the gospel. It's like, yeah, I know. I gotta get married first. It'll be okay. What an amazing time that was. And so maybe you too have someone in your life that you have prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. Friend, don't give up. Don't give up. Christ still has a plan for their life. We must also pray for the lost, for those that are all over the world, including right here in our city that are doing work for the gospel. We've been doing that on Wednesday night. And that includes praying for each other. We're all workers in this field. What else does it look like? It also looks like training sowers. Now I know earlier I said you don't need training, and that's absolutely true. You do not need training to share the gospel. If you are our born-again believer, your testimony is enough to lead someone to Christ. That being said, it is nice to have preparation. There's nothing sinful about studying how to better share and how to better articulate the gospel. And so, this year is my my plan um, for me to gather a group a group of people together and for us to find um, ways to train us as a family of God. And it is my hope that all of us will participate in some sort of training for us to better be able to go into a lost and dying world and share share with them the hope of the gospel. So I hope that you will begin to pray about that and begin to look for that. Next, we must share. It's not enough that we train, but we must go out and do that which God has called us to do. That means we must Make it a goal and a commitment to do that in our lives. For some of you, it's very, it, would, it may be just a very simple commitment of one person this year. One person this year I'm going to share the gospel with. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to invite them over to their home. I'm going to be intentional, and I'm going to share the gospel for them. For some of you, maybe that can be more. Maybe it can be once a month, once a week, once a day. But make a commitment to yourself and to the Lord that I am going to make it my point to share the gospel. There's other ways that we can do this. There'll be other opportunities, I hope, in the future for us to go on missions and to be able to share the gospel in other places than this. But this is our field, and so this is where our primary focus should be. And so I hope that you'll make that commitment as well. And then lastly, we can do this by giving. Very few of us are going to be called to go other places and share the gospel. Very few of us are probably going to be called to go to the ends of the earth or maybe even st louis or kansas city to plant a new church most of us are going to be called to do work right here and that is valuable work that needs to be done we could not go other places if it was not for the majority of us staying put but that also means that we have a responsibility to hold this end of the rope to support those people through prayer to support those people through giving whether it be through Blotty Moon for the International Mission Board or Annie Armstrong near Easter or through various other ways that may present themselves throughout the year. But all of us have a responsibility to be a part of all of these things. We can't say, oh, I give, and therefore I won't share. And we can't say, I share, therefore I won't give. We have to be invested in all of it together. Because if one of us let's go of the rope we all suffer if one of us chooses to say i can't be a part of that then the kingdom is slowed down by that and so i challenge you this morning what is god speaking into your heart who are you to be an aroma of christ to how are you smelling like jesus as you go into your workplace as you go around to your friends and to your family? And more than that, are you using words to help them to understand that the reason that you are the way that you are, the reason you have a hope and a joy in your life that they can't understand is because of Christ? So as I ask the praise team to come up, and we go into a time of response, I don't know how the Lord is speaking to you this morning, Maybe you're here and you have never given your life to Christ. You don't have that hope. You don't have that joy. You don't have any idea what we're talking about when we say, smell like Christ. That just sounds like a funny phrase. Friend, today is the day of salvation. Christ loves you. He died on the cross to pay for the mistakes that you made so that he could bring you into a right relationship with God the Father, your Creator so that you could live an eternal life in paradise. And he desires this morning for you to know him and to know that hope, to know that joy. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been a believer for a long time, but you've always been scared, you've always been slow to share the gospel with those you come into contact with. Friend, we have a responsibility Just like we've talked about before, that if you see your child reaching for a hot stove, you have a responsibility to yell at them, to go get them, to save them from that harm. So, too, we have a responsibility to those that we know that don't know Christ to yell and to reach out to them. Will you allow God to do that through you this morning? Will you make that commitment that this is a field that I'm going to be a part of? This is a work that I'm going to do. Allow God to speak into your life this morning about how he desires you to do that.